Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and that is me. And in a minute, you're going to hear me talking to Michael Rapino, the CEO of Live Nation. That is the concert and ticketing giant. Um, if you've ever gone out to an event, you have probably given them money in one way or another. They have been dormant for the last year because of the pandemic, and uh, now that is uh, changing. So we're talking about what's going to be involved and what Live Nation was doing for the last year. It's a good interview. Before that, I just want to give a quick plug for a Recode Media episode. A bunch of you have already listened to it, but if you haven't, earlier this week, my colleague Jason Del Rey did a guest episode where he interviewed Brad Stone, a Bloomberg journalist who has now written his second book about Amazon and Jeff Bezos, Amazon Unbound. It is an excellent conversation. You want to hear two really good journalists talking about one of the most important people of the world and their various insights into them. There's some specific media stuff there you'll want to hear as well. They talk about Amazon's foray into TV and Jeff Bezos' 13 or 14 point plan on how to make a good TV show. It also talks about Bezos' uh, attitudes about advertising and sort of the compromises he had to make with advertising and about his, his interest in the Washington Post and his hands-on nature there. All good stuff. If you already listened to it, thank you. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's free. You know where to get it because it's where you got this episode. Okay, that's my plug for my show. Now here's this show, me talking to Michael Rapino. I'm here with Michael Rapino, the CEO of Live Nation. Welcome, Michael. Nice to uh, connect again after all these years. Yeah, it's been a few years, and it's been a year of me uh, asking you to to come talk to me about how the concert business is going. And you kept saying, well, there is no concert business, so I'll come back when there's something to say. In case anyone has a short attention span and just wants to know the state of the concert business, when they can start going to concerts, how that's rolling out, can you just give us the lay of the land right now? We're recording this in early May. When can I start going to see shows as we as we come back online in the U.S. and around the world? You know, it's changing daily. Every state is is slowly opening up. Uh, but right now you can, you know, in Texas and a few places, you can go to smaller shows right now. Uh, but really, it's July forward where you can start going to an outdoor show um, at a larger capacity. Um, and some festivals will start in July in the U.S. U.K., I think we're still going to be okay in July forward. That seems to be the latest opening phase there, fully open. And the rest of the world is, is months behind. But in the U.S., it should be by July in certain states, you'll be full capacity outdoor shows. 
So outdoor shows I can start going to midsummer of this year. And I've seen you guys are, 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 are promoting some festivals like Bonnaroo, some, a lot of people. I was looking through your corporate site, um, you know, promoting some individual artists at casinos like Bill Burr is going to be at various casinos. So outdoors, most states this summer, more or less full capacity. And then what if I want to see a show indoors? When do those start rolling out? We believe that will be probably by the fall time. Again, every state is different. Mm -hmm. um, some more progressive, but looks pretty promising right now that by the fall time will be a full indoor business uh, at large and small capacity. So when I go to a show this summer or this fall, is it just like going to a show in 2019 or are things different? How are you guys handling masks and social distancing? Do I have to show a proof of vaccination? Right. Now, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on the states. Certain states have different laws, as you know. Um, so we're dealing state by state. I mean, listen, generally when you go to the show, if it's a full capacity, we haven't really jumped on the wagon on in on a lot of these less than capacity opportunities. It's just too hard economically for us to put a show on for 50%, even 75%. So generally, if we're open, it probably means we're at full capacity, um, no social distancing in order for the capacity in the venue to work. You know, a lot of the things are, are, are cosmetic in terms of sanitization, um, lots of ventilation changes are happening in our indoor venues right now, masks for the staff, um, and, and, and contactless, uh, cashless systems are kind of the biggest move in terms of walking in that venue with your digital ticket, being able to order a, a drink contactless through your app, order a t-shirt. So those are kind of small movements that we've been making over time, but we've excelled those. So you can actually go to a show and, and not have to pull out cash, not have to touch, not have to wait in some lines, um, do it all through your app. So those would be the kind of the, the biggest kind of consumer changes. Structurally, it's still going to be the same great show that you've gone to in the past. So on the one hand, that sounds great because I want normalcy and I want I want to be, be around other people. On the other hand, for the last year, I've been reading a bit about about the virus and how it spreads. And, you know, the, a year ago, we were concerned about touching each other and touching stuff. And we, we realized that's no longer an issue. And it seems like all right, the way, way this actually spreads is through the air, indoors, when you're around people for a lot of time. And then if you're engaged in certain activities like shouting or singing, um, and that's kind of part of the, the concert experience. So is the hope that that we'll just have enough vaccination, we'll have herd immunity, so that isn't going to weigh on my mind or the performer's mind or the people who are working at the venue's minds, that they'll feel like reasonably confident that they're not going to get sick so, uh, working at a show or attending a show? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the reality is the live show is pretty much the first to get shut down and going to be the last to open up. So we're not blazing new trail here. By the time the local governor or the state officials have declared a live show with full capacity is is legal. Uh, all of the other things have happened through the CDC and vaccine and herd immunity. You've gone through hotels and conventions and restaurants and indoor dining. So the reality is by the time that local governor state official says it's okay now to go mm -hmm. to a indoor show full capacity, you would assume at that point vaccines are full, immunity is there, and or the vaccine or the, the, the virus is at such a level of controllable state that it's fine now to be in a normal setting indoor. 
I've been talking to you. You're in your office. It looks pretty empty there. Have you gone to see a show uh, in the last year? Have you have you been to a venue and seen something live? No, you know, my first venture into the real world was Miami a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had a, a hotel opening with Pharrell. Um, so that was my first jump into the, uh, d- the deep zone because uh, it's alive and well in Miami. So that was the first real outing. But no, our, our first show will happen over the next month and I'll get to one of those. What was it like to go to that show for you? Did you feel nervous? Did you feel confident? Just curious, trying to put myself in the headspace of when it, what it'll be like when I when I step across the threshold at some point. I was a little nervous. Yes, it was it was a bit uh, from the comfort of my uh, my home with my three kids and a very you know kind of isolated year to uh, walking into a, a hotel VIP opening um, with the five hundred people in a in a yeah, it was an outdoor patio. But yes, it was still uh, I wasn't quite used to fist bumping yet versus Mm -hmm. uh, people wanting to shake your hand. So yeah, a little shell shock is we're all, I think, have a little reopening into our, uh, into our new world and how that's going to come about. So yeah, it's a weird tension, right? Because I think for some people, it's, you know, a lot of people, I mean, New York people are raring to go. They're outside in certain parts of the city, certain stretches kind of feels like a street party. And you talk to a lot of people who say, I'm very nervous about doing lots of stuff. And I imagine for you guys as a business, there's a little push pull, right? Where you want to encourage people to get out, to leave their home, to come to a venue. And at the same time, you want to sort of be respectful and and, and cognizant of, of some of those concerns people are going to have. For real, yeah. I, I mean, listen, Miami, I say, was the same. I, I went there uh, believing I would never shake someone's hand again. I would just live in the fist bump world. Um, I, I was surprised an hour into the event how many people wanted to shake your hand, even come uh-huh. up and hug you. So it took, a, it took a little bit of getting used to that weekend. As I said to my wife on Monday, I'm, uh, I'm definitely tested the Pfizer vaccine this weekend. <laughs> so, you know, the good news is 10 days later, you, you're, you realize this vaccine works. I was just uh, with a bunch of people on a, uh, on, and, and I'm fine. So, yeah, it does take a little bit of that training wheels to get back into the real world and uh, and, and kind of be OK with uh, interacting and seeing and, and touching and feeling like you're going to be OK. So I want to talk more about where, where the business is going to go, but let's let's go back in time. Um, I've spent a lot of time over the last year talking to people who run businesses about how they adapted to COVID. And in some cases, they adapted quite well. Maybe their businesses did much better than they expected. But all of them had a business they could run, more or less, in some way. You guys really have been essentially dark for a year. Your revenue's basically gone away. Um, there was not a lot of work for people to do at home on Zoom. When did you realize what you were looking at? How long or, or how fast was it for you to figure out, oh man, we're, we're, we're done. We're out of commission for a long time. You know, it, it took a month or so. I mean, I think we all back in March, you know, thought this was going to be a short term, couple weeks, couple months, um, and it'll be under control. So, um, uh, you know, that's why I wasn't doing podcasts back then. I was kind of wrong every month on how long this would last. Uh, mm-hmm. We thought it was thought it was the spring. Then we thought it was the summer. Be back by the fall, and it obviously took the whole year. So, yeah, I, I think for the first month we were still in shock. We had shut down the machine, did our last show, uh, and as you said, it, it, it kind of an eerie feeling to be on a call with forty global presidents from forty countries around the world. Where, as we say, that's the day the music stopped. Where every country had shut down the, the doors. Uh, an unheard of kind of idea. 
So we were in shock for the first month. Um, it was like using whole new muscles we hadn't used ever before. Um, not not thinking about revenue and 120 shows a day that we're usually doing, but but costs. What are we going to do if we have no revenue for the next two months? What are the costs to run the business? How are we going to reduce costs? How long will it be? Real unknowns for the for those six weeks on how long that would be. Do we, you know, when we were going into summer season, so you know we're in that critical position where we have all these part-time employees ready to ramp up for the summer, the festivals, the outdoor. Uh, we would have done all of our job fairs by then. They're all starting May 1. Um, and we're sitting here in April saying, do we start? Do we do we have a business? Will we need any staff for outdoor? Is it a complete write-off? So yeah, uh, a complete crazy six-week period of, of a holding pattern um, where we you know did our best to talk to our global staff every Tuesday uh, with kind of live updates on where we were and and where we thought it was going, uh, and I think by then, by obviously by about middle of May, we realized this was going to be a much longer exercise, and we shifted from kind of panic on what will we do short term to what are we going to do now that we have this great opportunity of a shutdown and kind of dig into our business in a new way. We've never had this opportunity in 15 years of, of running the company. I admire the making lemonade out of lemons, but, but what is the opportunity for you when you literally, I mean, I get you, there's a chance to reinvent the business. On the other hand, I mean, there really was no business for you. Um, and you have your employees, you have acts you've made commitments to and venues you've made commitments to. People want their money. People can't survive without their money. What, what is the opportunity? What's the, the upside of that? Well, again, and I don't want to devalue any of the downside. I mean, it was, it's was it been a horrific for most people in the live entertainment business. This industry got hit hard. So that part-time employee, especially a lot of the contract employees, it's why we started Crew Nation uh, to try to help. So t- tons of people got devastated. Thankfully, you know, some programs for the government did kick in and, and others started to help. But definitely we got hit hard. Uh, as far as then, how do you turn it into... To lemonade, you know, I think it's probably no different than your personal life. I mean, we all went through this change where we were running 100 miles an hour and probably didn't have enough time to uh, build Legos with your son um, or all those things in life that kind of kind of gave you that mm-hmm. moment because you, you shut down. So when you're running a, a public company, we launched Live Nation 15 years ago. Um, when you're running a 150 shows a day full time, you're on that treadmill. You're running fast. And you have all these strategic strategies and projects that you want to get to. Um, but the reality is that the treadmill sometimes keeps you from getting uh, a lot of those things done. So we kind of looked at in this opportunity on, for the first time in 15 years, we are not expected to uh, to be at 150 shows tonight. So what is the strategic ideas that we've we've had in the burner that we wanted to excel? Remember, a lot of our stuff... You want to you want to re- reinvent some of your software and ticketing. You want to look at the the access systems in your venues. Hard to do when you have you know twenty shows a week happening in those venues. So we kind of just use it as the downtime to say, what well, what are these projects that do require time and effort uh, that we haven't been able to bring to the front and put resources against them? So we put a lot of SWAT teams together and talked about Live Nation 3.0 and what are the consumer ideas, artist ideas, venue ideas, what's an org look like that wants to meet the future needs of live. So a lot of that, you know, that that, that work that you just don't get to focus on when you're running hard and fast. And 
It makes it sound company. like a makes it sound like a year long offsite. I, I was it really is. I mean, we, we I looked. I said to my team one day, "What a gift we have." Well, the, the Wall Street expects nothing for the next six months. So we now we have a high expectation that when we come out of this, let's make sure we're better for it. Let's make sure we use this time wisely. So let's let's dig into a lot of those projects, a lot of those ideas we all we all couldn't get to. Um, so that was the great gift, I would say. The leadership that rose up and you got to see who were the leaders, who could rise to the occasion, who who ran and hid. Um, so that helped you figure out what your org of the future needed to be, what those projects were that you wanted to jump on. So it, it was this incredible, you said it best, this incredible long offsite with no pressure of getting back to the real job. Um, so we could spend the time on a lot of things that we wanted to get done. Let me let me ask you about Wall Street. Um, I remember I, the last trip I took was was to L.A. in March of 2020 as things were shutting down. And I remember people saying, oh, man, Live Nation's going to get killed and I'm going to I'm going to short Live Nation and a lot of and you, your stock plummeted. Um, and then the stock market's weird. Your 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 stock is now above where it was pre pandemic. How much time did you spend communicating to Wall Street or did you say, look, there's nothing to tell you here. I can't. You, you see the same thing as me. Our venues are empty. Come back and come back. And do you have any sense of sort of what is driving that stock back up? Well, you know, listen, I think it was that you're right. It was a what a year. What a shift um, from 70 to 25 to, to 90. Um, I think a few things, right? I think everyone panicked, uh, rightly so, back in March, April, when the world shut down. Um, the, the markets all got hit. And, and, and we had that one month window or maybe six weeks where you know, everyone was debating what would the future look like? You know, I had people calling me going, no one's ever going to go to a concert ever again. No one's going to gather again. Um, and people were debating, you know, you had you had to answer two questions to Wall Street. Was this a structural challenge? Was the pandemic going to excel an already flawed business? Or or was this just, just a cycle? Um, and then two, you had to answer the second question, you know, how long can you hold your breath for? How long and uh, burning how much cash with no revenue, how long can you last? So you had to answer those two questions. And by the time the first question, you know, took, I think I always remember it being May long weekend. And May long weekend, if you remember last year, Memorial Day, there was all the CNN pictures of everyone partying on the lakes and mm -hmm. everybody. And it was that kind of like, oh God, that was the first real media moment when people went, no matter how bleak it is, the DNA says we want to gather, and um, and we're going to gather again. We've been you know gathering since the since the caveman days. It's, it's part of what we do. So first we had to you know kind of reassure Wall Street that this thing called the concert it's been around since the beginning of time. It's going to be here forever. People want to come socially validate and have that moment. So once you got over that first phase of this will continue, people will gather. Twenty two year olds will want to see Billie Eilish. That's going to be magnificent. Two is we were shocked also, I will say, by May, end of May, June, we still had an incredibly low refund rate. So that really started to People show who, who had had tickets for a show that was not going to happen in 2020, who didn't ask for their money back, they plan on seeing it right. next year. And if you, now we built the business model back in March when this all happened that said, whoa, geez, pandemic, shut down, people out of work. Uh, it's going to be 50, 60% of the refunds. They're going to want their money back. We were sitting by June and we're sitting at 10% refund rate. 
people were holding on to those tickets. Uh, so that consumer confidence started to really underline that idea that, no, no, this this is going to come back. They want to see Billie Eilish when this is over. They're going to hold on to that ticket. And then from a Wall Street, once we could kind of model out our monthly costs, our balance sheet, and convince everybody that we could hold our breath for a year or two uh, and get through this and be fine, um, those two things came together. The marketplace, I think, looked at Live Nation and said, geez, consumers really do want to gather and they're going to come back roaring when it's right. They've used this time to cut costs, even get better at their core business than before the pandemic. And they have a strong balance sheet to weather the storm. And these refund rates show the kind of the crazy consumer demand holding on. So if you were an investor, you looked at this and rightly so. I think remember Mark Cuban being the first one on CNBC saying, you know, I, I don't know if he coined the roaring 20s. We, we've all mm -hmm. used it now. But, you know, his point, I remember being when they can come back, they are going to be so pent up. The demand will be hot. And I think the you know investors looked at that and thought this this category is going to have incredible pent up demand. Consumers still are holding on to those tickets. Live Nation will be a strong company coming out of this. Um, so I still think it's a great long-term bet to be in Live and Live Nation. We're going to take a quick break so we can hear a word from a sponsor. and We'll be right back. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. When things were looking particularly bleak last spring, you guys got a $500 million, uh, the Saudi government essentially bought $500 million worth of, uh, of your shares. At the time, I think you said this was arm's length. We didn't ask them to do that. Obviously, you guys got a lot of criticism for, for working with the Saudi government, whether or not you're doing it directly or not. Can you add any context there? What have those discussions been like with the Saudis? Um, just to underscore this, right? This is a government that has been credibly accused of, of murdering a, a journalist. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we don't have the background here. So is there a relationship and what is that relationship like? Yeah, uh, you know, before I just get the specifics on that, you know, the that happened, I, I can't remember what month, beginning of May, I don't know what, 
was in the middle of the the crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember um, Bono had called me that morning and had heard about how we were rather in the storm. And he gave me a great line. He said, you know, Rapino, you're you're really doing an incredible job leading. But the leadership isn't about who can throw the punch. It's it's the one that can take the punch. And boy, are you taking them? And I remember saying to him, I said, whoa, this has been like a heavyweight round. What a month this has been. So now you wake up a day or two later. I wake up in the morning. I see my stock up. And, uh, you know, in those moments when you've just been 76 to 20 something, you're like, oh, thank God. I'll get a bit of a break today. I have no idea. Brush my teeth, put my kids on Zoom, and then boom, I see a few variety Hollywood reporter, um, you know, Rapino's an asshole. Um, and I'm like, what What have I missed here? So I, I then find out they had to file an 8K like anyone does if you own more than a certain percentage. Um, so, yeah, to be clear, I've never met him in my life. Um, it's an open marketplace. As you know, they bought shares. I, I guess at that point they had. Uh, looked at a bunch of companies that had uh, all dipped down and bought shares on the open market. I had no idea until I read it that morning myself. Um, so don't know when they bought it. Don't know if they still own it. Had no contact with them at all. So kind of rightly uh, or wrongly accused because I think people had thought that we had gone and met with the Saudis and um, and encouraged some investment. Had not done that. Hadn't met them. Uh, anyone, as you know, can buy stock and sell it. Uh, I have right. no control now, over that. Now, and, sometimes a company will go ahead and, and, and accumulate those quietly, right? Especially if it's, if they want to be an active uh, shareholder, activist shareholder. Other times they'll say, hey, look, we're looking at your company and there is there is a discussion there. But you're saying you had no contact with anyone in any way. Zero contact. No, and you're right. Sometimes you get, you know, we have investor relations and equity funds or whoever want to invest will sit and we'll give them, you know, um, meetings and we'll talk about our business in, in an open format. But uh, no, had never they had never reached out, had not met with anyone on my team, myself included. Uh, I was first first I knew about it was when I read it in uh, Hollywood Reporter, whatever that morning. So Ari Emanuel is on your board, did take money from the Saudis and then returned it, and that was a different relationship, right? He 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 solicited that investment. It was different than than you. Have you guys talked about whether there's anything you could do to get out from that? Because um, you're going to get asked about this now periodically, right? I would assume. Yeah, I, you know, the, the, again, the truth, you know, thank, the, thankfully the truth was on my side, right? So I had reached out to a few of the reporters we had talked to that day. And, you know, I, I'd seen Senator uh, Amy Klobuchar had mentioned it somewhere. We reached out to her to correct it. But, you know, in this news cycle, you can't you can't win them all. But the truth is all that matters in this one in that we have, you know, not met them, not not solicited them and have, have no connection on the equity side. So uh, I, I don't at that point, Ari and whoever have done, you know, at that point, before that had happened, you know, Saudi was in Hollywood running around talking to some some companies. We had not met him, uh, wasn't invited to that party. So thankfully, uh, we got to stay clean. You, you mentioned Amy Klobuchar. Let me ask you about her. She she is a big deal in general and a big deal when it comes to antitrust um, because you guys own both uh, the largest concert business and, and Ticketmaster, the largest ticketing uh, company. Um, you had to do a consent decree years ago. Um, you renewed that consent decree with the Department of Justice, I think, the end of last year, right? Yep. Politically, though, there's there's a renewed interest in antitrust. A lot of it's focused on the big tech companies and Apple and Amazon and Facebook. 
Do you think you're in the clear now? Do you think you you don't really have to worry about um, getting brought into an antitrust discussion because you've got that consent decree and you're sort of good to go? Or is this something you're going to need to be wary of and thinking about for years? Yeah, I would think that, you know, given what we um, we negotiated with the, the DOJ uh, a, a year ago, we all we all lost a year, it might have been two years ago now, but yeah, we think we're in complete compliance. We never actually, uh, you know, believed that we weren't in compliance, but because we are the largest company in the space, we uh, we do we do get some pressure at times from independents and others. So uh, we're we're very confident that 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 new deal and that agreement we put in place provides all the uh, regulation needed to make sure that the DOJ believes we're in compliance and we operate in compliance. So we we don't think we have any issues. So let me go back to, to what the business is going to look like uh, this year and, and next year. You guys have said, look, there's a ton of demand. Uh, we've got all the shows that we canceled last year that we need to bring back. Everyone wants to. And then we've got new people who want to go out. How are you going to slot all of that? There is actually a limited number of places these acts can play. And there's also a limited amount of, of spend, right? Everyone's got stimulus money. A lot of people have stimulus money. It's not going to last forever. Um, you know, we're not sure how the economy is going out. So how are you sort of... I imagine you sort of got this, you know, just traffic jam of acts and venues and everyone sort of clamoring to go out um, and you've got to handle all that. How, how do you do that? What's the logistics of that? You're right. We have a incredible supply right now looking to, to go on tour. You know, the good news is the managers, the system has a pretty good self-regulating uh, module built in. Um, you know, there's a hierarchy that, you know, if you're Beyonce... You, you can go on sale any day of the week mm-hmm. on a Tuesday in Cleveland and sell out. Um, if you're a different act, you're, you're probably going to make sure that you look at all of the other acts out there. What dates can you get? And we're talking to a lot of artists, and it doesn't have to be 22 at this point. So I think we're looking at a 22 into 23. So you have a lot of these artists that are already looking and saying, I want to go out next fall, maybe next summer. But I know these four bands are going to go also looks a little crowded. We'll go out in fall or we'll go out in summer of 23 or the fall of 23. So I I think it's going to naturally spread over 22, 23 into 24. You know, if you look at average artists kind of tours every three years, we almost lost two full years. Let's say if we counted 21 from the big production. So if you put that all into 22, it wouldn't make sense, as you said. Um, so I think you're just going to see a 22 into 23 um, spread out. Can you guys do anything to help smooth that out? Because what you're describing is very logical, right? On the other hand, like a lot of these acts, you know, that's where they make all their money. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, Beyonce doesn't probably have to tour if she ever wants to, if she doesn't want to again. Um, but a lot of these people, it's imperative that they do. Um, and even if it's Beyonce, right? I mean, there's still a Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles sort of constellation, right? Where they can't all play in Cleveland on the same night. Right. Um, so how do you, like, are you getting involved in that? And, and well, you have to be involved. It's your business. So how do you, how do you work that stuff out? And how, do, and what do you say to uh, a band that says, look, I've heard your explanation of why we should wait until 2024 to go out, but we haven't received any, we haven't generated any revenue for two years. We got to go. Right. Yeah. But but it would, I wouldn't say the first band, you know, 24 would be an extreme view, right? So mm-hmm. you have you have the 21 still in act in, in place. So you're going to have, you know, some bands will be out this year. As you know, Dave Matthews, we've just announced, amphitheaters, country artists. So there are going to be a 21 
feeding uh, frenzy in the sense of between now and the end of the year, you will see between some festivals, a lot of festivals playing out, um, which help both the artists, some tours in the amphitheaters, and then summer, uh, a fall arena tour. So this, the machine will start up this year, helping some of these artists get back on the road. Then you have all the big tours that were planned in 20 or 21 that are now going out next year, right? The weekend tours, the Justin Bieber's, all these ones that have been waiting in queue. So you kind of get those are already out, established. They've got their dates. Now you're going to look at what can you layer on top of that that still wants to go out. Um, we would have that already done. So you would know that you're already going out next year. Um, and then then you have the third wave that there's new the other artists that say, I still want to go, but boy, it looks busy. Now, you, you can go out, you know, you can skip next summer, but... A lot of it goes on, maybe I'm not going to do the U.S. next year, but I'll do Europe instead. Maybe I won't do Europe, I'll do Pacific Rim. Maybe I'll do the Latin leg that I wasn't going to do at the end. I'll do it at the front. So when you kind of look at the, you know, the four seasons in the year, and then you look at the five continents, which, you know, never used to be an option. You know, 10, 20 years ago, you really only toured Western Europe and America. Now it's a global world overnight. These Harry Styles, et cetera, can go run 15 dates in Latin America. They can run 15 dates in, in the Pacific Rim plus Australia, another six or seven. So I would say that's the kind of the puzzle you're playing. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're, you know, does everyone want to play? I mean, everyone wants to play the arenas in America, obviously in the um, in the fall time or the winter time. Um, but so we're looking now at, you know, do you go to play South America in that time period instead because it's jammed here and then come back and play festivals in Europe in the summer. So I would say the optionality that, that is out there on a global scale is is a lot more than people think of the usual, hey, I want to play the summer in the U.S. and it's full. That's my only option. Doesn't not not, not kind of uh, that's not that black and white. Right. I mean, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, right? Some of those countries, it's going to take them a lot longer to get online, right, as well, because, um, you know, it's a global but, but pandemic we, by definition. But we assume 22, we're all open for business. So right now we're, you know, you're planning our summer European festivals, our summer tours, our, our, our Asian tours, Australian tours, are the legs of those tours. Uh, so a lot of it, um, I, I would you, you'll see, you know, typically you kind of go out, launch in the U.S. and then work backwards. We'll do some of that in reverse order uh, to make room. You said at the beginning, when I asked you what the experience is going to be like when I go to a show, you said it's basically going to be like going to a show two years ago. You're with a bunch of people enjoying a show. Uh, you also talked about uh, innovating and trying new stuff out. So is there stuff that will be visible to me that's different about the concert going experience when I go back? Or is it all behind the scenes? And, and what is different? Yeah, listen, the, the core show will be what it is. I mean, we we are, our, my job is to provide all the infrastructure for that artist to do that magical two hours. That's mm -hmm. that's what we do. We're, regardless of the venue, as you know, we own some venues, but most of the shows we're putting in someone else's venue um, and we're marketing and sponsorship. So I think the core show will be, you know, as great as ever. And, and that's what you're going for. Um, I think if you go to some of our venues, uh, whether they're amphitheaters or festivals or clubs and theaters, um, we have some new products that were consumer products we're going to roll out over the next year. Um, like that we're, uh, we're, you know, we're looking at some subscription models and and different uh, membership models that I think will be movie pass for concerts. 
uh, you hate that analogy. Let's go one, more. one where you make money. Yeah, let's go more Amazon Prime. Better, better example. Everyone wants one of those. Um, so yeah, I think we have some opportunity to look at the pro, uh, the business with our scale and provide fans some different value. So we, we've been digging deep into that the last few months with a lot of uh, uh, new skill set, uh, thinking about the consumer side of the of the business. So. We're, we're going to test some products we have there. We obviously launched our Veeps product. We're, we're excited about having that capability. To, What's that? To, uh, uh, Veeps, our live streaming business, um, required a, a great company through the uh, Madden Brothers. So um, we're out streaming live shows right now, and we think that's a great complement to the show. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So there was a, a, a flurry of people trying to figure out how to uh, do stuff live. To do to, you know, they didn't work going to replicate the concert experience, but they wanted to do something, and there was a lot of interest in that. It seemed like that kind of faded. Is there stuff that you guys learned about live streaming and, and virtual concerts last year that you're going to be able to use next year? Well, you know, I think it's you, you nailed it during that pandemic. I think it was an interesting time to see this because uh, that first two months, there was a lot of live stuff going on instagram live and etc and there was articles written on you know who will ever go to a show again it's going to be a live live and i think then you know the good news for our core business is i think by the second month we were all very burnt out of watching it on a on a screen and you don't get those goosebumps sure. that that live that that live show does so uh, i would say we we've been streaming live festivals and shows for years yahoo twitter youtube mm-hmm. you name it so it's always been an extension or promotion vehicle. I, I think the part that we liked about Veeps is it is added to that direct consumer pay model. So I, we, we look at it as two fronts. We do a lot of club shows, about 8,000 club shows. And one of the artists I spoke to um, kind of hit the light bulb for me. We typically would put them in a club. They would maybe make $50,000 if they played that night, small club. And you know, pay their four band members. They did a Veeps and uh, and made ten thousand dollars. So you know that's not Beyonce money, but when you're making fifty, mm-hmm. that's an incredible, nice extra add-on. So we looked at it first on our club network. We have ten thousand club shows. We shouldn't want to be able to offer this to all of our artists playing in our clubs and theaters. So you should or should not? Wil- we should. should. We should be yeah. offering it. You know, you're playing the Wilton. You're playing the House of Blues. Hey. Do you want us to Veep to live stream it for you? We'll charge $5, 10 whatever number you want to charge artists. And maybe there's an extra thousand people. That core fan wants to see that show um, and it's an extra revenue stream for that artist. We think that on the festival side, it gets even more exciting when you're doing Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo and where, where you are really more of a party platform in the background. And maybe you'll pay $29 to have the Lollapalooza Festival stream to your house. While you're um, having a house so party we, or something? Is that how you imagine yeah, it? Yeah, ex- exactly, right? We've noticed in, in the streaming worked when it was the background on your Apple TV. Less about I'm a dedicated want to watch two hours by myself. But when we were doing the, a lot of the Insomniac EDC really did a good job on this. When they were doing their house parties, People were subscribing, put it on their big screen mm-hmm. TV in the background. So, so we think the, that idea of uh, of a festival, which is not so specific at six o'clock, but you can put it on all, all weekend and capture certain pieces you want to. So we think it's an interesting model to help the artists generate a little extra revenue 
through its diehard fans, as well as expand our 100-plus festivals to a broader audience as, a, as an add-on. Curious what you thought of uh, what Fortnite did over the last year. Some very high-profile artists, uh, Travis Scott, Bad Bunny, uh, very elaborate, computer-generated performances, I guess is the word, concerts that supposedly, you know, had you know millions of people engaged in some way. It doesn't appeal to me as an old man. This is something, the way I want to uh, experience a concert, but maybe there is a very large audience of, of younger folks who want it. Did that, did that catch your attention? Did that make you reevaluate your business in any way? Um, you know, so we know, we know those, uh, the Fortnite people, we've talked to them all. I, I think gaming obviously is, is the future for uh, any, any young kid and it's going to be part of their life. Um, so I think it's an incredible promotion tool. Artists have always found great ways to get in front of the customers, the consumers, from MTV days to to now to gaming. So I, I think gaming is just another incredible promotion vehicle. It's just like playing the Super Bowl or something. Like playing the Super Bowl, and some of them are, you know, the the artist is so powerful in his direct consumer brand. Now they're all monetizing it different ways. But I look at my ten and eight year old. And they are the ones coming to me, telling me about music and songs they're hearing through their Fortnite Roblox um, adventure, right? So when Travis Scott did it, they, you know, Dad, Travis Scott, we love Travis Scott mm -hmm. now. So I think, I think it's incredible. I think, you know, games will be an incredible soundtrack to uh, the youth of today, and music will be part of that. Great and you still think your kids, my kids, are going to go to live concerts in five years whenever we allow them to, to go? to an event by themselves. It, it, exactly. Yeah, I think the live show is much more than the music, right? You don't go to the live show just to watch the band. You, it's, a, it's a huge social experience, validation, different, different emotional levers than watching a uh, Bad Bunny on a, on a video screen. All right, you you and I agree, but again, you and I are, are old guys, so maybe maybe we're wrong. What's uh, you did you did uh, Pharrell in in Florida? Uh, what's your first official concert going to be? Do you think? Have you have you circled it? Your in-person event. Well, you know, I, I, I we we have this incredible partnership with the Rolling Loud founders uh, out of Miami. So we have Rolling Loud on uh, on sale now. Went on sale two weeks ago. We sold hundred thousand tickets in an hour. Two hundred thousand people waiting in line. That is a full capacity show in uh, the end of July in Miami. So we'll we'll see if I'm up for it at that point. Um, but I'll probably find a smaller amphitheater club show in between now and then to uh, to christen the first show back. I, I, I stopped by last week. We kind of did an official show with uh, Global Citizen. We were the producers of the Vaccine Live special from the uh, arena, uh, the stadium here in Los Angeles. Uh, Global Global uh, Citizen and you do a great job. And it was a great job in promoting vaccine. So that was a lot of uh, 25,000 people in that stadium was kind of the first semi-larger show back in action, but I'll be, uh, I'll be looking forward to our first amphitheater show in the beginning of July. Yeah. I think I'm on your timeline. I think I might go see Wilco at, in Philadelphia at the, at the man. There. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think, I, I think you guys are doing that now. Um, okay. Thank you for being patient with me. Thanks for getting on the phone, getting on the zoom. Good luck. And, uh, I'm not going to see you in Miami at the end of July, but I'm sure I'll see you in person soon. I appreciate it. Thank you for being patient. We'll see you this summer. Thanks again to Michael Rapino for getting on the Zoom with me. Actually, Squadcast is the software I use. Thanks to Joel and Jelani for editing and producing the show. Thanks to our sponsors for letting us bring you this show for free. 
is Recode Media, and we will see you next week.